I think it can be hard sometimes to accept when we're struggling with mental health, especially in moments in life when we feel like we should be happy. Traveling is one of those moments. It's meant to be carefree and exciting, and this is often reinforced by the travel content that we see online. But this might make it hard to recognize when we're struggling because there's this inherent expectation that while we're traveling, everything is perfect and everything is great. So what happens when everything isn't great? And what does it feel like to travel while depressed? This is Alpaca My Bags, the responsible travel podcast here to help you travel in a way that's better for you and for the planet. I'm Erin Hines, travel writer, accompanied as always by my producer, Katie Lohr. And today we're chatting with Tammy Tran. Tammy is a skydiver, TikToker, mental health advocate, and a future marathon runner here to talk with us about the reality of traveling while depressed. Go ahead and hit the follow button right now if you haven't already. And if you want to stay connected with us, you can also follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod. We are also on Patreon, where you can support us financially and help us keep this podcast going. Uh, So the link for that is in our show notes. We also always, always love to hear from you. So you can DM us or email us anytime you want. All of our contact info is in the show notes. So please do reach out. Now, before we get started, I wanted to share a quick content warning. We'll be talking about mental health and depression today. So if this is a sensitive topic for you, feel free to skip this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Okay, Erin, so have you ever felt sad while traveling or not so great in the mental health space? Oh, yeah, definitely. I would say it happens more on long haul trips, so trips where I'm spending months abroad. Um, As you know, I've done several trips where I was gone for up to nine months at a time. And on those trips, you really like settle in to traveling. And so there's more space for you to feel the ups and downs of your emotions. Whereas like on on a vacation, that's like 10 days, two weeks, one week, all of it is thrilling because it's like a very designated break. So yeah, I do find on longer trips, I tend to feel sadness more or even like more depression or more anxiety. I always remember this period when I was solo traveling across Europe. I was really young. I think I was 22. And I just went through this dry period where I wasn't meeting really great people in the hostels I was staying in. So I felt very lonely. Normally, I had no problem making friends in hostels, but there was like a three-week period where I just was not meeting people. I was also in an expensive part of the country, so the hostels weren't as busy. So yeah, there was just this dry spell. And I remember sitting on a train, writing my journal about how sad I was. (laughs) And I just, I missed my family. I missed my friends. And I just kind of sat in it. Like I sat in those feelings for a solid week or two. But eventually things bounced back. I started to feel good again. It was just a low, and I think that's natural, especially on on a long trip. Other times I felt sad just like for very literal reasons. For example, when we were in uh, Vietnam, I lost my wallet, which is so silly. It wasn't even pickpocketed. I just lost it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I have a lot of trouble accepting when I make mistakes like that because my brain can't, can't accept the fact that I did it to myself. And so... I was a wreck for a solid week and Lucas was like, this is, it's okay. Like you're going to get new credit cards and debit cards. Like everything is okay. But I had a really hard time getting over that and definitely felt very, very sad for a solid week, maybe more. (laughs) I mean, I'd be the exact same way. I wouldn't be happy again until I have actual brand new credit cards in my hands that make me less worried. And to be fair, this is a very valid thing to say. Lucas kept being like, you have me and I have money. (laughs) No, but what if you die, Lucas? What do I do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) So yeah, those are a few examples. How about you? Uh, Okay, well, you know, my only vivid memory of being sad while traveling, it feels trivial to say, but it happened back when I was in high school. I was in grade 11, 
And we had this really big, exciting France and Italy trip planned with the school, the people in my class. And a week before, my first boyfriend ever broke up with me. And like I was devastated. (laughs) And I have this like vivid memory of just being on the bus, traveling through Nice, looking out the window at the back of the bus with like my iPod in my ears, listening to sad music, and it was raining (laughs) outside. I was like trying to like, like, like welling up with tears in this bus. It was a big deal for me, and I felt. I just remembered. I felt especially sad because it felt like none of my friends really were there for me in this time. My boyfriend was kind of from out of our friend group. He was in a different friend group in our high school. So people didn't really know him too well. So they just didn't take our breakup seriously or our relationship seriously. So I was pretty bummed about that, that I didn't think any of my friends were really looking out for me. So it was tough. I felt very alone in that instance. But being the person that I am, I somehow bounced back from it because optimism, right? Like That's just where I end up in life is just like, whatever, just power through it. Everything will be okay, which is not a good mental health space to always be in. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes you just got to sit in the feelings. Yeah. High school breakups are hard. It was brutal. <laughs> they it hit sucked. different, especially that first one. I actually, you sparked a memory of a TikTok that I saw recently and I wish I had saved it. I don't think I did, but... This TikToker, I wish I could credit her, but I I can't remember who posted it, was talking about how toxic positivity is an issue in the travel space, especially online. And I thought this was such an interesting way to frame it because that's essentially what we're talking about in this episode, about how we have this tendency to frame and show our travels like it's all like happiness So yeah, I just thought that was an interesting phrase to describe it. and Totally. And I think it it actually is the perfect description because that has been a lot of my experience in looking at travel content online. (laughs) This actually departs a bit from the mental health discussion, but I think it's an interesting angle to talk about too because this video got me thinking about how you can be catfished by places that you visit. So there have been places that I've gone to that I've seen on social media And when I actually got there myself, I felt underwhelmed because it was shown differently. Um, Some of it is just like about perspective and like camera angles, literally. But other times it's just people hyping up a place so much and showing it in a certain way that you have these like very, very high expectations and then you get there and your experience is not the same or like it might even extend to mental health because if you if you go to the Taj Mahal and you're not feeling great, your experience might not be as great as like what you saw online portrayed. So I just thought that was an interesting angle to talk about this as well. But I don't know, in this episode, we're going to focus more on mental health. Tammy, you are the first TikToker we're talking to. This is very exciting. I came across your videos on TikTok and I was immediately drawn into them. Actually, I think that Katie sent me one of your videos and in it you were traveling around the world, living this life that obviously a lot of people dream of. But in your videos, you were so forward with the fact that you were simultaneously struggling with depression. Could you explain how you got started sharing these like very vulnerable and honest videos. The reason I started sharing them was because I knew that vulnerability was kind of the key and like the way out of it. And it's kind of like knowing that exercise is good for you, but not really exercising. And so it was the first time that I had, I had actually experienced depression. And I just knew that all of my past coping mechanisms and all of my past you know habits just wouldn't work this time. But I remember like that first video I uploaded, I was so uncomfortable. I had a visceral reaction to posting it. And it made me so nervous because it was the most vulnerable thing that I had ever posted at that time. That's pretty much why I posted it was just because I knew it was good for me. And I knew the uncomfortable would be the key. Not knowing what to do, I escaped. I embarked on a month long solo Europe trip. I went to nine countries, and while I had a great time making friends and seeing the world, 
I was horribly sad for most of it. Though my depression wasn't magically gone from traveling, I did start my healing journey on that trip. When I came back, I was ready to finally stop grieving and begin doing the work to find myself again. Even through therapy, waking up early, going to the gym, and reading, I still feel like shit. If there's anything I learned this year, it's the fact that I never want to feel this shitty again. It's almost like it was a public diary post or like journal post. But I love that you frame vulnerability as sort of the first step in your own journey, because in my own mental health journey, like I can fully relate to that. I struggled with anxiety for years and I only started getting better when I was able to like speak it out loud. I probably knew for like two to three years that I was really struggling and needed help, but did not speak it out loud. And it was like the moment when I was able to say it to someone to my partner and then later to a doctor to get like medical help that I actually started to accept it and like work really hard on getting better. I think when talking about mental health, it's really important to describe what it feels like because everyone's experience is so different. But also, I think if you're a person who hasn't experienced it, it's hard to understand what the experience is like. So I was hoping you could describe what depression feels like for you. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I never thought I was the type of person to be predisposed to depression or anxiety my whole life. I had dealt with a bunch of trauma um, as a kid, but I dealt it in such a way that it never made me feel like I was depressed, like out outright depressed. So I kind of see both sides of the coin where I didn't think I was depressed and then it kind of hit me and I was like, oh, that's depression. So For me, it was kind of sudden and it wasn't something that like I needed to go get a diagnosis for because it was just so obvious that this is depression because I wasn't performing like I used to. I wasn't being productive. I wasn't happy. I was kind of a jumbled mess. But the best way I can describe depression is more on the physical terms, such a heavy feeling on your chest. When you're thinking about mental health, it's, you know, everyone wants to relate it to the mind and the psyche and stuff like that. And it's just so complex. I boiled it down to where I felt it in my body. Um, And so like my body was just like, it felt so tired all the time. I was fatigued, um, very lethargic, and my body was tight. And especially on my chest, it just felt like, you know, when you get that bad news, your, you know, stomach drops and your, your whole body is like, whoa, That's the best way that I could describe it, but it was constant. It was every single day, every single hour, every single minute. And you're like, when is this going to end? It kind of feels like a rock on your chest is how I would describe it. I really relate to that description. I've told people the same thing that at least for me personally, my anxiety felt like like I was sick to my stomach 24-7 and it just never stopped. And I, for the longest time, I was like, oh, everyone exists this way. This is just how you feel if you're a human. But like, so it's not. <laughs> I think I saw a TikTok where it was like, what's the normal amount of pain that you feel every day? And like the doctor's like zero. You're not supposed to feel any pain at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, oh, <laughs> it's so hard because it's one of those things that like if it's your lived experience for a prolonged period of time it just it's normal for you yes so for anyone who might be less familiar with depression and anxiety aside from your personal experience what would you say are common symptoms of it and how can a person know if they have it I think the most common symptoms would be it's not very sudden but it kind of creeps up subtly on you And then all of a sudden you're like, when did this happen? But like a loss for interest in pretty much anything. Some of my hobbies was, you know, obviously traveling the world. And another one of my hobbies is skydiving. And I remember one time I was literally jumping out of a plane and I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Like, how does that happen when you're literally jumping out of an airplane doing the most you know, exciting thing you could do. And then you just don't appreciate it anymore. And I remember, you know, I went on like a whole Europe tour when I was majorly depressed. And I was staring at like, I don't know, the Colosseum in Rome. And I was like, it's there, that's a building. So a loss for interest 
can be as extreme as that, or it can be as simple as, you know, your coffee doesn't taste the same anymore and you don't get excited to brew it up anymore. And I think that's like the most dangerous part of it all is life doesn't feel like it's worth living because of those simple pleasures in life doesn't bring you joy. And so essentially nothing brings you joy and you feel kind of like it's all worthless. So I think loss of interest is a huge one. And I'm sure there's plenty more, but that was one that really stuck out to me. Mm -hmm. I definitely experienced that as well. And I would say the other big one is that I've noticed and in talking with friends, they've experienced this as well. It's when it starts to like impact your relationships with other people, especially people close to you. Because a big turning point for me was when my partner said to me, this is a problem for our relationship. And like, it's hard for me to be in love with you when you're not helping yourself. And it was really, really hard, but that was the evidence that it was really getting to a bad place. And I know a lot of other people that have gotten to that state as well, where it's like, okay, now it's starting to impact how I relate to my family and my friends and those relationships are suffering because of, of my mental health. I heavily relate to that one as well. And virtually all of my relationships were kind of non-existent because typically depressed people, I won't speak for everyone, but at least for me, I had a very high tendency to self-isolate. And that's just what made me feel like, like I don't want to be a burden on other people. And that's a very common thing for people to say, but it creates more problems than fixes it. So uh, yeah, I really relate to that one. I know that in my own life, I have definitely had the tendency to turn to travel as an escape. I've noticed looking back, especially all throughout my 20s, there are like definite correlations between moments in my life where I was mentally struggling and trips that I took. Similar to you, none of those trips were a quick fix. So I wanted to ask, how did you find yourself traveling while you were coping with depression? How was it different from your experience like pre-depression? The world, I saw the world in a different way. And I can't really describe specifically how, it just felt different. I remember I was, you know, sitting in Portugal for like a really quick layover. And I was just staring out at the sea. And I was like, this is all that there is to life. Prior to that, I would have been like, oh my gosh, look at these people um, having so much fun. I have X amount of hours in this country because it's a layover. What can I go do? What foods can I go try? What activities can I go do? But when I was depressed, all I did was stare out at that sea for 10 hours, like quite literally. And I reflected on everything that was going inside internally. And the world just didn't seem like the world anymore. It seemed like everything that was in my mind was the world. So pre-depression, it was like I saw things more externally and I saw things for face value and for what it was. But when I was depressed, I saw things much more on a much like deeper level, not necessarily in a good way because, you know, I was just thinking about how the world is so big, but here I am just not really experiencing the most of it and didn't think I could ever experience it like I could before. And would you say that like pre-depression, you found a lot of joy in like experiencing the external world while you were traveling? I think it was definitely kind of like a dopamine hit for me. I was heavily addicted to travel and just like all the exciting things. And I mean, I still am, but it was like, oh, I want to get the next experience. I want to get, you know, I want to elevate my trips. I want to experience more. I want to meet people more. I want to just do more, more, more uh, versus post-depression. Like, you know, there would be some days I would stay in my hotel room for the entire day and not experience the city at all. And I didn't care about it at all. So that's really interesting. I like, I like how you described the desire for more, 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 because that I see that a lot in the travel community. And I think I was like that too when I was like younger and traveling. I had this like obsession with seeing as much as possible. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better at just like taking a slow approach to travel. But it's kind of like you just want to tick things off and you think that like every new thing you see will like give you more joy and happiness. 
I also wanted to ask, because Katie, Katie just messaged me. She was like, we should ask, what is pre-depression? Like, would you think of a pre-depression phase or would you say that you were kind of in it for a long time or maybe forever? So what's funny is one of my therapists, the first therapist I had ever seen, she was like, I think you have low-level depression like your whole life. And I was like, what do you mean? I was fine. Like, if I take a look back at my life pre-depression or whatever you want to call it, I had a very privileged life and it was outstanding. I accomplished a lot. I felt like I was doing the things I needed to do. You know, on paper, it was a good life. But, you know, there's always a dark side to everything. And I didn't realize that I had suppressed a lot of my trauma and it didn't come up until now, basically. So like for a decade, I had just basically forgotten all of my childhood trauma and I never dealt with it. And I had always felt a sense of emptiness in my life. I always thought I had like a very good emotional homeostasis, right? Like I was never a roller coaster. I could manage my emotions very well and I could cope with them very well. Uh, But what I realized was I was just empty. I, I wasn't too happy. I wasn't too depressed. I was just neutral. And in a way that made me feel like kind of depressed. And I think that's why my therapist said I had experienced a low level depression my whole life without even realizing it. Kind of what we said, like it was a baseline. I just was so used to it. It wasn't until I read the book, uh, Running on Empty by Jonice Webb, I believe, that it made me realize I hadn't been living the way that I needed to live and experiencing my emotions the way I needed to. So I was always constantly empty And that's why I am kind of an extreme person. I look to travel to fulfill that void. I go skydiving to fulfill like a fun, fast-paced energy. And, you know, there's still be times when it wasn't enough for me. And it's because that I had always been empty pre-depression. So I think depression was actually a gift to me because it made me realize that aspect, which I never would have guessed before. I only asked because I wasn't sure if like some, you know, people are born with like mental health, like this is just the way their brains are wired. So I was and then some people think it's, you know, triggered by some crazy event or something that just happens in your life. So you just never know. So I just wanted to clarify that, I guess, and just give you the background on that. Well, and I think part of it, too, is it's a different experience for everyone. And I know that like my own therapist has said to me that especially as you get older, like anything that's pre-existing with mental health can get worse because I do think like I have had anxiety my whole life, but it only started to get bad in my 20s, which apparently for women is really normal. And also just that like it can go up and down. Like I was on an SSRI for almost three years and now I'm off it but I've like fully accepted that I might go back on it in the future because it works and if I need that I'll use it but like it's not like oh bam you took an SSRI you're fixed now like never gonna have problems again in your life (laughs) that's the thing about mental health it's a it's a constant (laughs) battle for sure there's no one cure yeah I think it's really hard sometimes to accept when we're struggling with mental health particularly in the bad moments, especially in moments where we feel like we're supposed to be happy. And traveling is definitely one of those moments. It's like billed as this experience that is carefree and exciting. And I think this is super reinforced by the content we see online, which is why I was so happy to see your content. But I think this can also contribute to making it harder for people to recognize when they're struggling because there's this inherent expectation that especially when you're traveling like there's no way you could be experiencing depression or anxiety was it hard for you to come to that realization like personally in my case it wasn't a hard thing to realize because it was triggered by a traumatic event and it was something that changed my whole life in a matter of like a couple days to a couple of weeks and so it wasn't like something that crept up on me and was like whoa why am I Why can't I do the same things that I could do before? Why am I not enjoying the same things? It was very apparent that um, it was triggered by this specific event in my life. So it did take me a little bit of time to come to terms that I needed help, though, because I'm that person in my friends' lives that they come to for help. And I've always been like a mental health advocate. I'm kind of like hyper independent. And it's 
not the best thing in the world because, you know, we all need help in this lifetime. And so it did take me a couple months to actually like, you know, get the help that I needed. Um, so the way that I realized it was, you know, a couple days went by and I couldn't shake that feeling. And usually I would be very good at like suppressing my feelings and being okay, or, you know, back to emotional emptiness, which to me was my baseline. And when I realized I couldn't get back to that baseline after a couple days, after a couple weeks, that's when I decided to go travel. Actually, that's not true. I had already planned this trip, but I decided to take it anyway. But that trip made me realize that I was very depressed because literally I would be out in the streets in the most beautiful city and then I would like a tear would like come build up and I was like why am I about to cry right now like I'm literally out in the world eating some really good food and I just I want to cry um so that's that's how I realized just the most random times I would like want to burst out in tears yeah I I shouldn't laugh about this because it's it's actually very dark but, (laughs) but I will share that a couple years ago, a friend of mine passed away very suddenly, and it was very tragic. I was meant to go backpack around Cuba for three weeks with a friend. And two days before the trip, I was like, I cannot go on this trip. Like, I, w- I was such a wreck. And he convinced me to go. He was like, no, like, you should go on the trip. It'll help clear your mind, especially in Cuba, because there's no internet. So you won't be able to, like, be scrolling online and seeing what other people are saying. And It did help, but there were definitely many days where I was literally bawling on the street corner in these like little towns in Cuba and people were just staring at me and my friend is just there holding me. (laughs) And it's funny because when we started the trip, he was like, I know that it's going to be hard and you're probably going to cry a lot and we're going to need to have a lot of heavy moments, but that's okay. I'm up for this. He was awesome. But yeah, crying in public, definitely been there. It's a it's a different type of pain. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you don't even care that you're crying in front of random strangers. Yeah. Katie, as you know, travel for me does not always go according to plan. Oh yes, I am well aware. Having made over 80 episodes of this podcast, I know that mishaps can happen when anyone travels. Absolutely. And when they do, you need travel insurance. And I couldn't recommend World Nomads more. When I ended up in the hospital in Australia, World Nomads provided me with emergency assistance so I could get the help I needed and carry on with my trip. Not only was World Nomads able to direct me to the nearest hospital, but my hefty medical bills were covered under my policy. World Nomads encourages all travelers to be prepared when adventuring abroad. Carry a first aid kit, research local etiquette and customs, learn some of the language, and most importantly, take the time to understand your travel insurance policy and what to do in case you need to use it. If things go wrong on your travels, World Nomads will be there to provide the emergency assistance you need. Benefits limits, conditions, and exclusions apply. Be sure to read your policy wording. Learn more and get a quote at worldnomads.com. The link is in our show notes. So now you're traveling, you're depressed. How did you address it? Did you figure out a way to continue traveling? Was your solution to go home? Like, what were your next steps? So there was a definite end date to my trip. This was pre-planned. And like the trauma came right before the trip, like, (laughs) a couple weeks right before it and so it wasn't like oh I'm gonna go buy a one-way ticket and go see where my life takes me but it was a longer trip it wasn't that I had ever thought that I needed to either extend the trip or I needed to modify the trip in any way because of my depression I'm the type of person who just takes things as they come and so when I took the trip I didn't necessarily deal with the depression head on. It was more trying to resist my past coping mechanisms. Posting that TikTok where it was like pretty vulnerable and basically saying like, hey, I'm struggling. That was like a tactic that I tried to resist hiding my emotions and trying to be like a stone cold person who can just handle things. And so I 
didn't try too hard to exert myself to really like tackle depression at that point in time. I also wanted to see the world and, you know, still have as much fun as I could. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm on a therapist call like every week during my trip. I actually didn't have a therapist yet. It was basically just like trying to do the best that I can to resist all of my negative habits before. Can I ask how long you were traveling for during this period? Yeah, it was five weeks. Ooh, yeah. So what did you do when you got home then? Well, (laughs) I actually did not go home straight away. I was still kind of traveling around the U.S. domestically um, because of like just my schedule. Like it was predetermined. Um, So I actually didn't come home for another couple of weeks after my Europe trip. So it was still like always pushed on the back burner. And then like there was a continuation of my trauma. And so it was like, I'm getting re-traumatized, man, (laughs) like PTSD in full swing. And so I was like, "Ah, what do I do now? It's like kind of just like figuring it out all over again. And so when I got back home, it was like my body was in survival mode the whole time for basically a couple months. So not a fun time in my life after I came back. Um, It actually, my depression got way worse (laughs) because I was basically put back in the same situation that I was in. So even though I was like pretty fucking depressed in Europe, it got way worse when I came back home. But coming back home was like the right thing to do. It gave me like a stability that I desperately needed because in Europe, I was all over the place. Yeah, because from what I remember seeing on your TikTok, you had been traveling like pretty extensively before you went on this Europe trip as well, hadn't you? I think like for a couple months you'd been traveling. So before that time, I like ran a whole analysis on my travels. And for 2021, I was gone for 50% of the year, like exactly 183 days out of the year. And so it was like nothing new for me to like, travel for that long or you know do things like that but yeah I I travel a lot for Mm -hmm. that year okay I'm really curious to talk a bit more about social media because I think like it's such an important factor in this discussion especially in terms of like how we portray travel but first like before we talk about social media as a highlight reel I'm really curious about how people reacted to the TikTok you posted that first one and then subsequent ones because I know you grew like quite a community on TikTok would you say you found support in that community that you have on TikTok now oh most definitely you know I think people can see like the genuine struggle and it wasn't like oh I'm trying to you know gain attention or anything it it seemed like a lot of people related to what I was posting and it was just like me sharing my experience I wasn't trying to gain any followers from it or do anything with it it was my personal diary depression is a widespread thing and so it naturally grew support because I think people who have been through depression they can have a lot of empathy for others who also see it and naturally like people just want to help in any way that they can so I I gained a lot of support and people who shared their stories with me as well and it was kind of just like you know we're all in this together like there's no one in this world that is truly alone you may feel lonely but literally there are millions of people who feel the exact same way as you right now. So it was, it was a really good feeling to gain from that. And that's why I haven't stopped posting um, these vulnerable TikToks, even though I wouldn't consider myself depressed anymore. I just value so much what the community has given me. And you know what? I really feel that I see on TikTok more than on Instagram, particularly in the travel community, less like curated glimpses into people's experiences. And I think that's why I just like it so much um, because Instagram is just so curated, especially within the travel community. And on TikTok, it's like a lot of people are just posting like the good and the bad in a really honest way. And I don't know if other people have noticed this, but like that was definitely a big draw for me to to TikTok in general. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's why I like TikTok is my main platform. I don't really post too much on Instagram. I do. I'm starting to more now, but there's a definite, clear, uh, distinguish um, between those two platforms. And that's what I appreciate so much about TikTok is that people don't care about those curated content. Like I've actually noticed that people like it less and they find it less relatable and people really seek out that, you know, just human experience. So I really, I really love TikTok for that. Yeah. Like I said before, social media has long been a highlight reel and people tend to glamorize their experiences because that's, I mean, honestly, like that's what a lot of people want to see. (laughs) I think though that this can sometimes create a big disconnect between people's expectations of travel and then their lived experience of it. So for example, I've talked on the show before about how I experienced an assault while I was traveling through Marrakesh. And when I look back at my Instagram from that time, it's funny because you would never know how distressed I was that week. I was posting like everything was fantastic and fine and I was having the most incredible trip across Morocco. So I'm curious, how were your expectations for travel shaped by content that you saw online before you started traveling like extensively? I'd like to think that I wasn't as influenced, but I think in reality, I probably have been like, I'm in this really beautiful place that's all over Instagram. And I should be having the time of my life. And, you know, I'm living my best life. I can't complain about anything. And then once I go travel, I'm like, okay, this is this is fine. And then you start to feel guilty about it. You know, it's like, here's this crazy monument that literally people like would die to travel and go see but they're, you know, stuck in their lives, and they just can't do it. And here I am so privileged to be here. And I'm like, I don't care. So I think everyone is putting on a front on social media. And I think I've always realized it. I don't think you can ever shake that feeling like it's been so ingrained in society. And it's been so ingrained into our minds, because I basically live on the internet, you know, I try to be as conscious as I can to have my own experience, because the world is so vast. And the world is meant to be experienced uniquely to you. Because I think the world is a mirror. Anything that is going on in your mind is is what you're going to see out in the world. So if I'm in this like crazy country that millions of people love and I'm just not loving the experience, I'm like, okay, I've experienced it now. And that's that's how I'm going to take it. So I think I tried to take off that pressure of like really trying to live the best life and trying to do the most that you can. Like sometimes I just really love walking out on the street with no plan and just soaking up the energy around me. And that's sometimes the best way to go experience travel is to have no plan and go do it. That's how I travel now. And that's how I'd like to think that I traveled before. But I think subconsciously, it's still something in the back of your mind. I really relate to that because like, I think I was very much the same. I always think about when I went to Asia for, I think I was there for nine months and I was traveling through Southeast Asia and then up to Hong Kong, Japan, and then to India. And at the beginning of the trip, I was very much about seeing like everything on the list in every place. And six weeks into the trip, I was like, you know what? The thing that makes me the most happy in being here is just wandering around the streets and sitting in coffee shops and chatting with people and watching people and just just existing. I think like sometimes with social media, you get this like grandiose feeling that like you need to see the specific sites, but really like you can find a lot of joy just in being in a place and not really doing anything at all. I have almost the same experience as you. I went through Southeast Asia as well, and I was there for a couple months. And At one point, I just hit like a wall. I was like, I truly don't care to go out in the country right now and like live my best life because I am tired. I like travel fatigue is a real thing. And, you know, it sounds so privileged, but it's like true. You can't just soak up all that you can in life every single day. Like sometimes you just want to be a little couch potato and (laughs) just exist in this country. I like to compare it to when you go to like a buffet you know you're paying a one-time fee and you're gonna eat as much food as you can but sometimes you eat so much food that you are uncomfortable and you actually hate the food 
And you're like, why did I just pay this much to be uncomfortable and waste my day away just like gouging myself with food? And it's the same thing. Like, yeah, you're going to pay to go visit this country. But if you're not experiencing it as best as you can because you're forcing yourself to go to all these things and you're not having that much fun, like, what's the point? Like, just chill, you know? Yeah. I remember the day that my partner looked at me and he was like, no more temples. I can't do any more temples. Because <laughs> like, it was like every place we went, it was like, okay, three temples to see. And we were like, okay, we're only doing the really, really, really special yeah. temples from this point forward. That literally just happened to Mark and I when we were in Portugal. After like three days of doing like two activities a day, a Saturday came along, which seemed like the perfect day to do more activities. And we both were like, no, we're sleeping in today. We're eating pastries and we have no plan. We just need to like lay down for like 12 hours and just do yep. And that was after four days. <laughs> I'm a very weak traveler. <laughs> I think all of us here have noticed this about TikTok, about how it just feels more honest. But I do feel like I'm seeing a bit of that spill over into Instagram now. I think there is like a growing shift towards people showing more of the reality of travel. What do you think? Like, have you noticed a shift as well? And do you think there's hope that in the future, the content we share will just be more vulnerable in general? I think there has always been a trend towards just like mental health awareness and being more open. Because like when I was growing up, I didn't really see too much about like mental health awareness and stuff like that. However, as I kind of got older through high school and then college, I did notice that people are posting more about their journeys and stuff like that. And I think it's just the way that society has progressed and the way that we have destigmatized mental health. And as much as we want to say there's still a stigma around it, I think there always will be. But I think we have made it so far, you know, miles and miles from where we started. So TikTok was kind of like the one that leaded the way in social media. And I think definitely like Instagram, it's just like the structure of it also. Like Instagram, we all know is trying to copy TikTok and trying to stay in the game and stuff like that. So if they want to stay in the game, they're going to have to like create a platform that is less conducive to filtering so much where it was, you know, always picture perfect before. Um, now with like the introduction of reels and stuff like that, I can see a shift of just more genuine content. We're leaning towards video format now in terms of consumption. And I think it's easier to convey a lot of emotion and convey a lot of the behind the scenes aspects in videos versus pictures where Instagram was only a photo platform and it was only one at the time, but now it's become kind of like a TikTok copycat. But eventually it's just going to be this thing where we can't deny it anymore. Like we just don't want to see any of this disingenuine content because no one can relate to it. Just the medium of video, you can express a lot more with it. Because when I think back to like 10 years ago on Instagram, what can you really say with one photo? I mean, some people would argue you can say a lot, but you're you're selecting one moment out of an entire day or an entire trip to share. But with video, it's much more possible to show like the layers of an experience. So I do think the introduction of video is probably contributing a lot towards that. I don't know if Instagram will ever truly be able to become TikTok because it is owned by Facebook and it has to still display all the weird, creepy Facebook versions of reels that are just like, I don't know how else to describe them. So I don't think Instagram's really coming in for the true competition against TikTok. Every time I click on one of those reels on Facebook by accident, I'm so deeply ashamed of myself. <laughs> I don't understand like how viral it gets like I think I know what videos you're talking about it's one of those really cringy they're really like, weird very clearly staged and like yes oh god it's so bad watching them but the they weird have like food millions ones. I don't understand it either but it's awful Listen, the audience on Facebook is a little different <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Katie my first question is why are you on Facebook <laughs> 
That's a great question. It's a great question. I don't have an answer for you other than like Facebook's groups to network on. I'm so ashamed of myself. <laughs> Where else are you going to get the wedding notifications and the yeah. you know, exactly. pregnancy? Baby announcements. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to talk a little bit about what people can do to address depression if they're experiencing it or think that they might be experiencing it. Obviously, if we could diagnose travel as a treatment plan for everyone who is experiencing depression, that would be amazing. But of course, it's not realistic, a little too expensive. But given this, what are your tips for anyone who is struggling at home or while they're abroad? Maybe like what steps helped you the most? And if you know of any others that are helpful to know about as well? You know, they say the first step is always the hardest step. And it's just being real with yourself. And it's easier said than done. Because sometimes, you know, if you've never experienced depression before, you might not know exactly how it feels, or it might not be like, as apparent or clear to you. And not everyone's going to have like a very clear determination like I did. So I think checking in with yourself and being as brutally honest as you can, and meeting yourself where you are. Because if you're in a state of delusion or in a state of denial where you think you can handle it, but you kind of have this like feeling in the back of your mind where it's like, I don't really know if I can handle it. The first step of being like, yeah, I probably can't handle this is the biggest step that you can ever take. Because you're finally allowing yourself to be open to all these options and all of these, not necessarily treatment plans, but just help. Um, because if you're closed off to it, that you're you're kind of fucked. Like there's there's no other way to say it. If you are not admitting to yourself that you are depressed, or the fact that you need help, or the fact that you need to change something, you're never going to progress, and you are only going to get worse. And I've seen people who have done that, and you know they're stuck in depression for even years, and they don't even realize it. So being very vigilant with yourself, and being hard with yourself, because. As much as people want to be like, oh, you know, self-care and self-love, you got to you gotta treat yourself with kindness. While that's true, you also have to be very fucking hard with yourself and admit the stuff that you don't want to admit. And that's the hardest thing ever. For me, it was like, I am not going to hide the fact that I'm depressed with the world. Like, I don't care if it makes people uncomfortable. I don't care if it makes me uncomfortable. This is what I need to do. And I'm going to do it because if I don't, I'm probably not going to make it through this so it started with little steps it doesn't have to be like oh go find a therapist because we all know how freaking hard that is um you know it starts with maybe journaling maybe looking up literally googling am i depressed or (laughs) you know reading up about it or reading a book or maybe it's watching videos it's little tiny steps but never giving up on yourself because i mean i know that's such a hard thing to say because when you're depressed, it's like, who gives a shit, right? Just having like a, like a very ignited feeling towards your depression and then going and doing something about it. Uh, what truly got me out of my depression was like just having goals and showing up for myself. And that came in the form of exercise. And I think the power of habits is so strong because it's not necessarily the goals that get you there. It's like those tiny little things that you do every single day, even, no matter how hard it is. And doing things for yourself when it's hard is the most important time to do it. And I think that's what I have always known in the back of my head, which is why I posted those videos because I knew it was a very uncomfortable, hard thing for me to do, which made me realize I have to do it because now it's hard. And so whenever you know, you're know you trying to get out of depression, lean into that uncomfortable feeling and lean into when you're telling yourself no and you're telling yourself like I don't really want to do this because it's hard or because it's uncomfortable or because you don't even see the value in it I promise there is a lot of value in it even if it's just like going to the gym if you can't go to the gym put on your shoes that's showing up for yourself still you don't have to actually go to the gym I've done that many times and eventually like I went from spending quite literally 10 minutes in the gym whenever I didn't feel like working out I would walk on the treadmill like at a 2.5 speed for 10 minutes and that I would be content with that. And now I'm running like 16 mile runs training for a marathon and I freaking love it. And it makes me so happy in life because 
like just seeing the progress of where I started. And this did not come out of nowhere. I literally remember just like calling with my friends. I was finally open up and telling them like, fuck, I hate today. But, you know, I still went to the gym for 10 minutes. And then I would that would be like my one, uh, I guess, like reward of the day. Like it felt good to tell them that I even though I didn't want to go, I showed up. And now whenever I call my friends, I'm like, I just freaking ran 16 miles. <laughs> and like, they're so numb to it because I've been doing this every single day. It's not the end goal. Like, obviously, yes, I want to run a marathon, but I've already fulfilled what I needed to fulfill because I am driven again and I am passionate again. And it makes me happy and it brings me a lot of peace. And that's the end goal. But for me, it started with putting on my freaking shoes and then doing it again the next day and the next day. And not to be on like my soapbox with like inspiration and motivation, like motivation is not going to get you fucking anywhere. Determination and rewiring your brain to love suffering. Like you're already (laughs) suffering, you know? So why not suffer physically with the chance of your mental health getting better with less suffering? So choose your own suffering is basically what I (laughs) want to say. (laughs) What a motto. I think it's so important to like acknowledge accessibility, like for mental health support. I know in Canada, it's like exorbitantly expensive and it's often not covered. And so a lot of people are left without that option. And also, I think just like everyone's treatment plan, quote unquote, is going to be different. Like it's very individual. So I guess like a lot of the work is just figuring out what works for you. Yeah. And it takes a ton of patience, like more patience than you're ever going to have to endure in your life because this is probably the hardest and longest thing that you'll ever deal with it certainly was for me are you enjoying skydiving again are we back at that place okay that's good I very much enjoy my life now and honestly I am happier than I was pre-depression so I am very thankful for my depression because it taught me so much and it was it was a bitch of a lesson but (laughs) it was a lesson that I needed to learn Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with a fellow traveler. Make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can leave us a five-star review or support us on Patreon. Alpaca My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced and edited by Katie Lore in Canada's Toronto area. If you want to reach out to us, check the show notes for all the info you need. I'll see you in two weeks, but in the meantime, I hope you get to alpaca your bag safely and soon.